May I speak in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Um, now, uh, move that a bit there. It's right in my line of vision. Now, um, on holiday, or wherever I go anywhere, uh, if I'm on a trip, I always like to maximize the amount of time I have in a place. So I'm nearly always last back on the bus. I'm never late, but I'm getting on exactly the time they've told us to get back. I'm never early back on the bus because I want to make most of my time in a place. As you might imagine, this has caused me a few problems over time. I've always made it back, but only just. And on one famous occasion, I went to wandering and I could see the bus park, but I couldn't get there. And I was looking around, and I was in a bit of a wilderness, and there was grass and everything everywhere. And there were paths everywhere, and I'd been down a few of them, but I was going nowhere. I kept ending up in the sand dunes. And then I saw above the sand dunes this flag, and I knew... Ah, tour guide. They must be returning to the bus. Aha. And there were lots of buses in that day. So I found yonder flag and joined the group and, in fact, followed them back to the bus. Uh, where my wife, of course, will have been, because she's a good girl on these trips and is never late, on, or doesn't wander as far as me, was waiting for me, um, and, uh, and I made it just in time. But the, the thing is, I would have been, um, I could see where I wanted to be, but I couldn't get there. It was really annoying. Um, but thankfully, this guide appeared and got me where I wanted to be. Now, in life, we often can see where we want to be, can't we? We often imagine the life that we want, the Christian life that we want to follow, want to be, and yet we can't seem to get there. Well, you know, God is our tour guide for life, isn't he? And the Bible's our, our manual, our, our instruction book. Now, I don't know if you noticed today, but the, in the psalm today, um, we, had, we had some hints about all this. Lord, make me know your ways. Lord, teach me your paths. Make me walk in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior. He shows the paths to those who stray, me. Uh, he guides the humble in the right path. You know, I could have gone and think, I don't need any tour guide. I don't need any person to help me back. I'll get there. The bus will wait for me. But that is not a humble approach, is it? The humble approach was tour guide, follow the flag. We need a guide in life. And it's not some self-help guru or the, the corner of the library where you get all the self-help books or the self-help programs we have on TV, um, but it's our faith in Christ and what he did for us and what he gives us. Now, back in uh, Paul's day, when the early church had started, um, 
they were finding out how to be Christians, weren't they? They were working out how to do what they needed to do. They, they had the Old Testament, but all they had was what the apostles were telling them day to day that they needed to do. And that's why the letters arose, because letters were written as circulars so that we, the churches in the various places that had grown up knew what to do. Now, Paul wrote a specific letter to the Corinthians, actually, in many ways, giving them a row for how they were living as Christians. And he comes to this one, and in this letter, this part of this letter to Corinthians, he's telling the, the church in Corinth, come on, you lot, you're not doing your duties. And this, this, this sort of element had grown up in the church well, if Christ is coming back soon, I don't need to worry about um, some of the things I'm supposed to be doing. And they started to neglect their day-to-day duties as Christians, okay? Nothing changes, does it? Nothing changes. So um, Paul mentions five things, and I think it's significant that he's mentioned these five things that the Corinthians were neglecting because they're very true to where we are today as a society and, and possibly as, as, as a church. They're five important things that we perhaps don't pay enough attention to or aren't brave enough to speak out. Like Jonah, for instance, marching a third of the way into, um, in, into Nineveh and proclaiming that God were going to wipe them all out because they've been a bad lot. Imagine somebody marching into the middle of Sheffield or a third of the way into Sheffield and proclaiming Sheffield was going to be destroyed because of our wicked ways. How would we have reacted? How would we react? Anyway, let's have a look at this. First thing, Paul has a go at husbands. Husbands, he says, basically, get a grip. Husbands had wandered off from their wives. They're thinking, well, Christ's coming back. Um, uh, I'm going to neglect my husbandly duties. I'm going to neglect my wife. I'm going to neglect my family. And, you know, great emphasis is placed on husbands in marriages. Because husbands, here's a shocker for you. You are meant to be like Christ to your wife. That means you are have to die for your wife, if necessary. Christ died on the cross for us, and husbands, you must be prepared to die for your wife. Simple as that. And, and all too often in the modern society, we, we think of people as exactly the same. And, you know, husbands are not like wives, and wives are not like husbands. They both bring different things to a marriage. And, and husbands, do your duty. I know marriage is not easy. I've spent 32, 33 years married, so I know the trials and tribulations of being in a married life. It's not easy. But God calls you to work at, those, at that relationship, not walk away with it. Yes, we know 
sometimes it becomes impossible. And there are things in times in the Bibles and in the church teaching where that we look at that and we look at marriages that are in difficulty. But you know, perhaps marriages today with a divorce rate are because people don't try hard enough. Back in my old parish, I did a lot of marriages each year. And through social media, I was able to keep in contact with many of them. And, you know, sadly a third ended up in divorce in the first five years. And when you talk to them what the reasons were, they were really sad. There were hardly any adultery. It was people just not trying hard enough. Marriage matters. So that's the first thing. Marriage matters in society. The second thing is, we're overcome, aren't we, by death and how we deal with death. I don't know if you've noticed, but in the last 10 years, a funeral has shifted from worrying about what happens to the person and whether they're going to heaven or not, to actually celebrating what's already gone on. So we now talk, of, not of a funeral, but a celebration of a life. And the focus is all on the life that's been led, not on the glory that is to come. And, and, and I think that's incredibly sad that we've lost this actual, when somebody dies, the expectation of the joy of heaven and eternal life. All we look to is the, a service or a, an episode that celebrates the personal life, a cremation and a scattering, and often nothing left to mark the person. Now, I know that person lives on in people's hearts and minds. But the focus in society seems to have shifted to the wrong place, just like marriage. We need to recover joy in life itself. Whatever our life is, a good life, not necessarily a bad life. Excuse me. Where was I? So, so, so far, we've got marriage. Paul talking about marriage, talking about mourning and looking to the future, not looking at a short-lived life on this earth. And then let's be joyful Let's be joyful in what we have, not in what we haven't got. You know, um, my, my dad always used to, my dad was a great footballer. He loved playing football. And he always used to say, teams have forgotten how to play what is in front of them. That they play a set way, and if the other team isn't playing that way, they don't know how to change. And he says, Players need, have forgotten the art of playing what's in front of them, not playing to a set pattern. 
And we need to play, we need to rejoice in what we have, not in what we haven't got. You know, we're obsessed with economic growth, aren't we? As a better way uh, to a better society. And yet, if you think about this, consuming an ever-grown economy is self-defeating because we're going to run out of things to consume, aren't we? There's a finite resource in the world. So consuming our way out of trouble is always doomed to failure. So we've got marriage, death, joy, and then consumption. And, and even churches fall foul to this business of consuming, don't we? A consumer culture, we call it. And, you know, when we moved to Sheffield, it was very tempting for us to go and find a church that fitted in where we were with a charismatic background, charismatic worship, and, and that would have been a very simple thing for us to do, Jane and I. And yet, actually, we wanted to worship where we lived. So if we'd gone to find a charismatic church somewhere, every day we'd have had to drive there. And yet, we decided we want to worship where we live. Hence, we came here. Not our style at all, but we've learned to love it and to like it and to be part of it. So we've got marriage, we've got death, we've got joy, we've got consumption and how we want to live our lives in a simpler, simpler way. And then how we engage with the world. Let's not be engulfed by the world, as Paul is saying. Let's not be engulfed by the world. It's so easy, isn't it, with what the world is saying we must do, to be engulfed by that, to be surrounded by it, so that we become like the world. We have to be engaged with the world, as Paul is saying, because that's how we can relate to the world. That's how people get to know about Christ. But if we get too far engaged, we get engulfed by the world. I think there are many dangers, and we can see the dangers of that with the discussion on human sexuality in the Church of England at the moment. The Church of England is in danger of being engulfed by the sexuality prevalent in the nation. So we need to be engaged. But we, make it need, we need to make it clear that we are Christians. When we're doing things, let's not pretend we're not Christian. People should know that we are Christian. Within our jobs, in our lives, let's not hide that fact. Let's not be secret about being, about being Christians. It's like when you see and you hear on the TV about cops who have been undercover, and they've been undercover so long that they've assumed the identity that they are playing. We see it in fiction, but we also hear about it 
on the news as well, that people who have been playing identity become that identity and forget who they were, what their role was. So there are instances of, of the policemen, you know, doing crime because they've forgotten that they're policemen and they've taken the identity of being undercover. Let's not, as Christians, be undercover in society. We have to be open about our faith and what we believe. So there's five things there that Paul is telling the Corinthians, don't do these things because you think Christ is coming back. We don't know when Christ is coming back. But we do know how Christ wants us to live our lives. And these are five things that you are not doing. Now, I was lost on a trip and I needed a guide to get back to the car park. We all need a guide in life and that guide is none other than Christ himself. Amen.